Dave, what are you doing? Get off the couch. But it's Sunday. I'm having a me day. I don't have time for Venom roleplay. But we must go out. We must taste the day. Inhale the hot, sweaty air dripping with... Whoa, Venom has a nose? We must go to the store. Purchase chocolates, candles, body oil. What's that now? Venom is the horniest superhero franchise of all time, and we must prepare. Yummy. Oh boy, now I'm going to have to stretch before this episode. This is 40. No, Jonah, this is Galaxy Brains, and today we're getting hot and heavy for Venom Let There Be Carnage with writer, actor, and superhero expert Danny Fernandez. There are a million bad ways to start your morning off. The no coffee traffic jam, the soggy morning jog, the why is the dog taking so long, just go already walk. But you can unleash your ideal day with a perfect shower using Method hair care products. Designed with high quality ingredients, Method's new range of shampoos and conditioners will give your hair undeniable softness and shine. And hey, if you're a night shower kind of person, that's great too. Try pure peace infused with peony, rose water, and quinoa protein or Simply Nourish, crafted with coconut, rice milk, and shea butter, or Daily Zen, made with cucumber, seaweed, and green tea. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Shop methodproducts.com. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the podcast where movies, TV, and overthinking collide. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Dave Symbiote. That's kind of a loser on his home planet, Jonah Ray. You know, really, Dave, I got to I gotta stop letting you write these intros for me, dude. I, uh, I Also, I'm not 40 yet. I'm 39. To be honest, I'd appreciate the day off. It'd be nice. Anyway, each week on the show, we start with a logical brain, advance to the critical brain, question everything with the interrogation brain, and of course... Unroll our big old tongues for the blessed state of the galaxy brain. Today, <laughs> our guest is writer, comedian, and expert in hot content, Danny Fernandez. And we're talking motorcycles, mayhem, and my God, that thick-ass CGI booty with Venom, Let There Be Carnage. But before we drop it like it's hot, we're going to need to do some mental kegel exercises in a segment we call Logic Brain. <laughs> We are about to embark on a sexually explicit journey into the twisted world of Venom 2. Your safe word today is symbiote. Dave, you're you're making this sound like a bad Fifty Shades of Grey parody. No, Jonah, you're wrong. This is a good Fifty Shades of Grey parody. There's no such thing. This is going to be a long episode, isn't it? I assure you this episode of Galaxy Brains is 50 minutes uncut, baby. Unfortunately, 
Venom, Let There Be Carnage is not an S&M romp about an emotionally unavailable rich guy. It's the second feature film to star the Marvel Comics alien antihero. When we catch up with intrepid reporter Eddie Brock, played by Tom Hardy, he's investigating the serial killer Cletus Cassidy, brought to life by Woody Harrelson, channeling just a little bit of his performance in Natural Born Killers. And Cassidy is about to be executed when he bites Eddie, ingesting some of Eddie's blood, meaning some of Venom's blood. Yeah, because it's kind of one and the same, right? Couldn't tell if it was just the blood or the combination of the blood and the chemicals in the lethal injection meant to kill Cassidy, but whatever happened, a new symbiote is born from Venom's DNA. And his name is, for some reason, why, I don't know, Carnage. And Carnage is much more evil and way more deadly than Venom. He's a red one. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, in these movies, Venom is essentially Stewie Griffin from Family Guy. He's not scary or menacing in any way. There's actually a scene where Venom goes to a late night rave and gives a heartfelt speech about self-love and acceptance. And I thought it was hilarious and beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, he's got like those glow stick necklaces on and he drops the mic. And if you're not into that scene, you're not going to like any of this movie (laughs) because it's 90 minutes of pretty much just that. Uh, If you close your eyes and pretend you were watching literally any other movie, that scene is almost touching. A bunch of other stuff happens, like, you know, Venom and Eddie splitting up, Eddie's ex, Anne, announcing she's engaged, and and exactly one use of the word, fuck. But what you really want to talk about is that mid-credits scene. Eddie and Venom kill Carnage by eating him for some reason? That's the thing? Is he, like, he eats him like a, a piece of taffy? It's disgusting. Then they run away to a tropical island. And it's there that Venom reveals that symbiotes have knowledge of other universes. Mm. And get this, they end up in one. The Marvel Cinematic Universe. By way of Sony. Yes, the Sony-branded Marvel Cinematic Universe. J. Jonah Jameson is on TV, and he says he knows the secret identity of Spider-Man. So Venom licks the TV. I don't know if it's because he wants to eat Spider-Man or if he wants to kiss him deeply. Then the movie's over. (laughs) That's the end. Basically, all the stuff we've talked about that happens, this all takes place in 90 minutes of screen time. Thank you. Yeah, let's give it up for my man Andy Serkis, who directed this film and really did exactly what I wanted him to do, which is not waste a bunch of time on feelings and character development. He just gets to the good stuff. But if we're going to make sense of all of that, we're going to have to burrow deeper into the cerebral cortex in another edition of... Critical brain. What the heck is this movie? Oh my God, there's like tentacles and goo everywhere. It's sick. It's like a hentai. Yeah, very much squid-like in its penetration of bodies. It's weird, but in between all of the, the, the wacky stuff, it's kind of a sweet friendship love story. It's a buddy comedy. Yeah, it really is. This is about me wanting to live without you, whining in my ear all the time about eating bad guys or like nagging me about Anne or destroying my place or destroying my life. Do you know how lucky you It's a love story. Really, it is. And I wasn't ready for that. I didn't really know that was going to be the case. And I was having a blast. Just it was just two guys in one body. It was super fun in that way. Yeah, it's it sort of reminded me of Inner Space. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The Joe Dante movie with Martin Short. Yeah, it's Dennis Quaid and Martin Short. And uh, it's a classic. If you haven't seen that, seek it out. Martin Short is uh, just kind of a regular Joe. And 
Dennis Quaid gets shrunk in a machine, in like a little space, like a ship. And gets injected into Martin Short when Martin Short thinks he's getting a vaccination for a worldwide pandemic. And it's like, it's just pretty much what everyone thinks is happening. <laughs> yeah, we all have Dennis Quaid inside of us right now. No, Randy, uh, Dennis Quaid, you're right, sorry. Yeah, not Randy. <laughs> you know, I think everyone that feels that these are microchips being uh, put into us have a little bit of Randy Quaid in them already. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably right. It's a great buddy comedy. Similar to this. This is kind of Laurel and Hardy meets Inner Space meets The Mask. Like there's a lot going on in this film. It was fun to see a superhero movie that didn't have to have a lot of weight to it. You know, Marvel, you know, Shang-Chi, uh, the Eternals looking like it's going to be super big and heavy. It was nice to just kind of have a bit of a side quest of a movie. That was there to just have a little mini boss with Carnage. But it's really not about Carnage. No, not really. Carnage is almost immaterial. Yeah. It's about Eddie and Venom becoming friends again. Like, it's a relationship drama with jokes and action in it. I laughed a ton. I laughed a ton during this. I don't think I've laughed that hard at a, a superhero movie in a while. It was just silly. You know, even just down to the idea of a, a heartbroken guy and his friend trying to cheer him up by extending his tentacles out from his body to uh, make him breakfast. Breakfast. <laughs> it's so silly. It's so fun. It is very silly and very sweet at the same time. Clearly, Tom Hardy's just having fun with this. And you can tell that's probably his enthusiasm and his sense of joy, which doesn't, he doesn't seem like a guy that finds that easily. Right. These are movies that are clearly a product of someone and their intense personal vision. Because Venom isn't necessarily like a funny character. I mean, there's humor to the comic book character, uh, but not like this. <laughs> not quite in the like, Fairly Brothers, Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> yeah, it's more stuck on you, Fairly Brothers. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, more of like a me, myself, and Irene kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, when you look at the other incarnation of Venom in cinema history, you can see that maybe it's hard to understand the appeal of the character. I don't know. What did you think of Spider-Man 3? Part 3, I, you know, I saw it in the theater and I remember just being like, this is ridiculous. I loved how funny and goofy it was and how dark it was at the same time. But uh, yeah, I didn't really care. You know, there was no fun to Venom. You know, even with like Topher Grace's performance as Venom and you know, Brock, it's, it's like it wasn't, there was no joy to it. And I do feel bad about saying that because I know like Sam Raimi was just, you know, trying to do his thing and he's one of the best directors of all time. But he did actually, even just in a recent interview, just talked about how he 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 felt so bad. He was like, that was right when online discourse was becoming the forefront of how people talked about movies. And I it did not make me feel good at all. Yeah, let me read this quote from Sam Raimi. This is from a few days ago because he's starting to do kind of press for Doctor Strange 2, which he directed. And he said, I didn't know that I could face it, it being comic book movies again, because it was so awful having been the director of Spider-Man 3. The internet was getting revved up and people disliked that movie and they sure let me know about it. And yeah, people were so cruel to him. They still are. Two out of three were perfect movies. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to give the man credit. And he said, when Spider-Man 3 came out, I didn't really understand Venom. The studio made him put Venom in the movie. And so Venom in that film just ends up being kind of like, a shittier version of Peter Parker. Yeah. Which is not really what the comic book version of Eddie Brock was. Eddie Brock was kind of a bully and an asshole and not like a squirmy, smarmy anti-Peter. 
So when the first Venom movie came out, I thought, I don't want to do this again. I hated Spider-Man 3. I'm sure I said all kinds of mean things about Sam Raimi when that movie came out. But then it was such a surprise because it really was someone's vision to make a totally different kind of superhero movie that doesn't have the same kinds of ambitions. A lot of superhero movies are very serious and they have to be about the hero's journey and coming to terms with your responsibility. There's none of that here. It's really just about two dudes like hanging out and being friends. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. And that was fun. Like I said, it just felt like a nice change of pace. The Sony Marvel movies, there's always something a little different to them than the actual Marvel movies. And I, you know, I can't really, can't put my finger on it. Yeah. They don't have the responsibility of carrying the flag for a massive multi-billion dollar franchise. They've really done a good job of bringing in Spider-Man, though. I mean, that that was huge that they were able to do that. We should talk about that because I think that's going to be the major talking point when people walk out of the theater. I wonder if that's the reason for the big push into the multiverse is just trying to reset and reconglomerate. I wonder if this is like, listen, Sony's got the rights. They're never going to give up Spider-Man. They're never going to get X-Men. But how do we like restart? And someone's like, well, there is the multiverse. And everyone's like, fuck yes. And that was probably 10 years ago. Someone's like, this has been a long plan of Kevin Feige to like go, I'm going to lead us towards the the multiverse. And then we're going to get everybody all the time everywhere. Yeah, I think there was probably a business imperative involved in this scene and these things happening. Because you think back at some point before the pandemic, there was a kind of controversy in the media about whether or not there was going to be another Sony Marvel crossover Spider-Man movie. And there was a point when they said, nope, we're not going to do another one. All right, well, that was it. And people lost their shit. It was the first time people were really upset about something on the internet since like The Last Jedi. (laughs) People were just like, no, you can't do this. Spider-Man's my favorite character and you're going to ruin him. And Sony doesn't know what the fuck they're doing with Spider-Man. Then it was clear that this was some sort of negotiating tactic because then they were like, okay, fine. We're going to do one more. We're going to do one last Sony Marvel team up Spider-Man movie. And that's it. And I guarantee you, part of the deal for doing a third one was you got to cross him over with our guys so that we can get our guys to be on the same box office level as your guys. Yeah. So I'm sure we're going to see Tom Hardy in the next Spider-Man movie, Far From Home. But we were talking about in generalities of film business. But let's get to let's get back to Venom and our thoughts on it. Huh? Yeah. Why not? Let's talk more about Venom. This is a movie about a character who is discovering his own self-worth. Isn't that nice that Venom gets to self-actualize in this movie? It's really, really touching to see him have that moment at that uh, at that rave where he's like, I'm good. I could be my own best friend. I, I, I wish I could remember half the lines because the sound design is so difficult to understand sometimes. I know there was a couple punchlines. I was like, yeah, it sounded like it was a joke, but don't know what he said. If I was able to understand every bit of dialogue in a Tom Hardy movie, it's probably not a Tom Hardy movie. You went to the Benicio Del Toro school of mumble acting. (laughs) Yeah, Star Wars The Last Jedi is my favorite example of uh, Benicio Del Toro. Just kind of like maybe remembering his lines, maybe not, but moving his lips enough where it's like, whatever he's saying is probably the line that we wrote, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll get it later. Um, (laughs) We'll loop that. 
But uh, yeah, I'm always a sucker for uh, stories about friendship. And it really was about, you know, these two guys were just stuck with each other and they started essentially taking each other for granted. And they had to learn that, oh, no, there is a reason that we were together for a bit. There is a reason we stayed in the same body. You know, there, that, that I thought was really nice. Yeah, but, you know, it's not just about friends, Jonah. It's also about dads. Because guess what? Venom is technically a galaxy dad. Galaxy dads. Look both ways. Look both ways. Go to your Watch your mouth. So let's do Galaxy Dads this week just about Venom. Because Venom is essentially the father of Carnage. And Carnage says this multiple times. He calls him his dad. Baby. You feel like home to me, like family. We don't know how symbiotes procreate. We don't, I have no clue. But apparently it has something to do with drinking someone's blood. Because that was all it took for Carnage to be created. (laughs) So Venom is his dad. But uh, one could say he's an absentee father. Don't you think? Because he's like, oh, I have a kid. Oh, I got to go. Yeah, that's right. He's like, I'm out. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, he very much just wanted, wasn't ready for the responsibility. And then really just ends up eating him much like Saturn ate his own son. He ate his own son. It is kind of messed up when you think about it. I wish they had explored some of that more. That's the movie I would have made. I would have just made a movie where he's like, it's like three men and a baby, but it's carnage. I don't think Venom's a very good dad. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to give him a three. Yeah, I'm going to give Venom a one. He was irresponsible. That's why he even had a son, because he wasn't being responsible. Then he ate his fucking kid. Yeah, then he ate his kid. So I gave the three to the guy who ate his own kid. That's foolish. I don't know why I did that. But really, Venom's not just a dad. One could say he's a daddy. Or one could even say he's a zaddy. Because Venom is the thickest superhero I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. This is a movie that is just really obsessed with his ass. We see his ass a lot. Exactly. Tom Hardy, it's weird. He's a big guy, but he's not like, it doesn't look muscular. It actually kind of just looks like bloat, but in a very like tough way. It's very like just, you know, working class British bloke. He is a sex symbol to millions of women while also just being kind of like a dude, just a dude. Venom, on the other hand, is the sexy like creature, which is kind of like how people fixated on Thanos. And there is that meme of Thanos with on his, all fours with his bare ass cheeks. And I think there's something going on here where people really want to have sex with Venom and Thanos for some reason, and I don't understand why. I mean, because they're into a lot of dominate me with huge asses and tentacles and goop. And, you know, just envelop me. (laughs) You're starting to make me sick. (laughs) (laughs) I am really, really confused by the sexuality of these characters and why we keep making these kind of like purple and black and goopy characters horny. Are you talking about that ass again? You're talking about that ass again. (laughs) You're talking about that ass again. (laughs) I mean, like Venom, you know, he's got that 
great ass. He can't go out and be himself. And so he's just chomping on chocolate. Yeah, the dude is probably also chewing on some ice as well, you know, tearing labels off of beer bottles. He's horny. He's got some sexual frustration going on. I don't know if you caught this line around the uh, rave scene that we've talked about a couple times, but he says something about finally coming out. I think he might even said coming out of the closet. This is, you know, a homoerotic movie too, because it's about these two characters. There is this masculine, like we live together and we love each other. And this woman is kind of getting in the way all the time. Energy. But Venom missed Anne. That was the thing. He's like, I liked her. I wish she was still around. You blew it. That's true. Yeah. He liked her more than Eddie did. But uh, yeah, I don't know if Venom has become a, a gay icon yet, but I think he's well on his way. I cannot wait for the next Pride Parade where it's Venom and Baba Duke just fucking holding hands and walking down the street. <laughs> Venom and the Baba Duke together is, I think, the most wholesome costume you can do for Halloween this year, folks. If you can do a tandem couples costume, if you do, I will send you $100 American. Uh, $100 American dollars? If anyone does a Baba Duke Venom couples costume, I will send them $100 each. That is an official offer. That's an official offer. It was on microphone. We're not cutting it out. Do not cut that out. That is something I will do. What you have to do in order to qualify for this is not only do you have to write us a review with Venom Babadook slash fiction, but you also have to send us a photo of this costume at galaxybrains at polygon.com. And we will give you $100. Each, for each person. Each person gets $100. We'll do it out of the kindness of our own heart. Doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be done with heart. Okay, Dave, it seems like we've covered the basics of this film. We've initiated a contest of sorts. We've talked about the thick special effects ass, zaddies, and not one, but two big old tongues. Ooh, yeah. I think that's all of it, Jonah. Can you list those things again, but slower? Wait, what? Yeah, just nice and slow. Tell me about Venom again. Dave, are you... Oh, my God. Are you aroused right now? No, but the uh, sensation, uh, it's its close. Uh, I'm galaxy-braining. Oh, jeez, Dave. The way I feel in my pants. My brain, my entire being just made me realize that Venom is the horniest superhero franchise of all time. Oh, well, I mean, that makes sense. Quick, get the body oil. Uh, Producer Kylie actually wouldn't let me buy it because Vox wouldn't approve the expanse. I'm super sorry about that. Oh, God. Don't galaxy brain on the mic. Those are expensive. We got to return those. (laughs) Wow, I'm going to light up a cigarette. (laughs) That was nice. Uh, When we are done toweling off, (laughs) we'll be joined by Danny Fernandez to discuss sex in superhero cinema. Welcome back to Galaxy Brains. Enough with the foreplay. It's time to get down to the dirty business. Sex in comic book movies is kind of rare. Unless you count like Pamela Anderson in Barbed Wire or that scene in Tank Girl where she sleeps with a kangaroo. Why are superhero movies so chaste? 
We brought on writer, actor, host, and all-around funny person Danny Fernandez to get to the bottom of this very not horny phenomenon. Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> thank you for that bottom to get to the ass of this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a question. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually saying that to myself today when I was getting dressed. Let me ask you a question. Like I love uh, Ace Ventura. Sexier than most superhero movies, folks. Ace Ventura, a little sexy. Most superhero movies, not so much. Danny, you are an expert on horny content and superhero films. Thank you. So I feel like you are the, the best person in the world, really, to pose this question to. Is Venom the horniest superhero movie of all time? Okay, this might upset people, but my, and it's probably because I grew up with this when I was like going through puberty, but my horny movie is Batman and Robin. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say Batman Returns. Batman and Robin. Okay. Batman Returns is like serious sexy. And like Batman and Robin is like the nipples, a close up on the buttocks. You have Uma Thurman doing a literal Mae West, who is like a sex icon impression the entire time. That's a good point. Yeah. Like Batman Returns is like, it's a passionate love sexiness. And where uh, Batman and Robin is just like, let's fuck with no repercussions. <laughs> It looks like a porn parody. Like, it looks like if you were doing a porn parody of Batman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I think Bat Batman Returns is like going to a goth club, and Batman and Robin is like going to Studio 54. <laughs> Those are the differences. I never thought of Batman and Robin as horny, but I think that's because most children are repressed, right? But with the double entendres and like all of the kind of the campy nature of Batman and Robin you don't really put it together that like, oh, this is about sex. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I remember like, I think the first kind of like thing, I was nine years old watching Rocky Horror Picture Show and I remember going like, what is this feeling? What is, <laughs> what is this? I was a sicko and I had that for so many Disney characters. Like even weird, like Jack Skellington was a famous like crush of mine and that's really psychotic because <laughs> he's just like a bunch of bones <laughs> but i remember they call him like bone daddy in it and i was like hell yeah this guy is like a sexy boy slash danny elfman i guess so i'll find sex in anything we were repressed definitely yes it is repression. My first Disney crush was the animated Robin Hood Fox. Yeah. I was obsessed, obsessed with him. So like, yeah, my first ever kind of sexual crush was a cartoon male fox. Let me tell you, I can tell he does not pull out. No one asked him to. No one asked him to. <laughs> no one asked him to. <laughs> Come on. I rob from the rich and give to you, hey. baby. Yeah, yeah. Sexuality when you're a child, I think, is uh, is a fraught ex experience, and that's probably why a lot of superhero cinema isn't sexy. Is because it's for children. I remember when Batman Returns came out, and we walked out of the theater. Me, my brother, my mom. She said under her breath, "I can't believe I took them to see that movie." That was awful. Wow. And I was like, "What? What's wrong? What? She licked him. So what? I didn't understand until." I was 13, why it was cool that she licked his face. And then I thought it was way too cool, and I wore out that VHS. <laughs> <laughs> My VCR was smoking after a while. Those movies are for children. And when they make these movies that are ostensibly for children that have sexuality, maybe we should pull back. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Batman Returns, Audiences turned on that franchise. Batman and Robin, audiences turned on that franchise for similar but different reasons. So now it seems like superhero films, 
even if they're rated R, are not very sexual. Birds of Prey and Watchmen were really mostly like violent in terms of their adult content. Watchmen does have, of course, the um, the famous Leonard Cohen hallelujah scene in the owl ship, but that wasn't really sexy. What is it, Danny, about modern superhero movies that keeps them from being more sexually suggestive? I think white Christian America is more okay with their kids seeing violence, as we know, than like sexuality. And so you can like shoot as many people as possible and they don't really care about that. But like, God forbid, a titty is out and then it's like the end of the world. But I I do have to say that the television shows are very sexy. So like, I don't know if you remember Luke Cage, a lot of sex, Jessica Jones, a lot of sex. I sure do. Yeah. A lot of sex, a lot of people writing on top of each other. A lot of a lot of people being ridden. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so that is that is fascinating that the, the TV shows have a ton of sex. But with the films, I think people are just more comfortable with showing people being murdered than procreating. Yeah, there's a higher standard for audience. Just audiences showing up for movies. You know, you have to get people in the door. And if sexuality turns people off, well, you're not going to put that in your movies because you want the most number of people to show up to watch your film. There's also another idea uh, that uh, there's a lack of sex and sexuality in movies more and more because it used to be you were not able to just go on the internet and look at people fucking. And so you had to be kind of cheeky about it. And so that's why the the sexual thrillers of like Basic Instinct and Disclosure, they don't really make those movies anymore because it's like you know, people used to go to them because it was titillating. Yeah. It was safe, acceptable social porn. Yeah, I, I remember watching Body of Evidence a lot when I was yes. a kid with Madonna. And we don't have these kinds of characters in comic book films as much But there are plenty of sexy comic book movies besides Venom and Venom 2. And we should talk about some of these. We've already discussed Batman Returns. Let's talk about Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider is on my list of comic book movies to talk about with sexuality in it. What did you think of Ghost Rider if you saw it? I mean, who who could deny the sexuality of Nick Cage? Like, right? Yes. Who could deny? That's all. I certainly won't. (laughs) The motorcycle. Does the motorcycle do it for you? Do you like the motorcycle when, when, a, when a character in a movie drives a motorcycle? Because certainly in this movie, in Venom 2, Tom Hardy is very proud of his motorcycle. I wanted to get a motorcycle after this movie. Yeah, it's like the classic bad boy, you know, and um, like the forbidden, like you can't. I still to this day, you guys have never ridden a motorcycle. Like my mom's, her voice is in my ear. I'm like terrified that she'll ever find out. I still to this day have not done it. So if you listening, if anyone listening has one and is like, hey, you want to hop on the back of my Harley? I won't, but. (laughs) (laughs) But I appreciate the thought. Eva Mendez, like I don't, she kind of went away, but she's also super hot. I love any time that there's like a cast being by that I'm like, yes, this is this is working for for all of my areas. You are checking off all of my boxes. Thank you. Yeah. I want to say Batman and Robin does do that. And so does the movie Clue. I just need to throw that in there. (laughs) Clue is a great bisexual movie. I agree. Our producer Kylie was talking on social media about great bisexual movies. And I think she mentioned The Mummy. Oh, yeah. That's everyone's favorite. The Mummy, a bi movie? It is. Why is The Mummy a great bisexual movie? Are you kidding? It's because you don't know who you want to sleep with in that movie. Like, you don't know who who you want to be or who. I do. I want to fuck The Mummy. (laughs) (laughs) Give me some of that sweet mummy. Yeah, the reason why I say either the mummy or Clue is because there's so many 
avenues that you could go with. Like literally, you know, depending on how you feel in that moment, there's so many different personalities and and experiences that you could have. Dave, if you want to fuck the mummy, does that still count as an Oedipus complex? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have mummy issues, Jonah. Thank you so much. I think that you're onto something, Danny, because when you are a young person and you're discovering sexuality, when a movie says the buffet is open, whatever you like, just have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, that's the way to go. That's why Batman Returns is awesome. Because you've got Batman, you've got Catwoman. There's this energy on everything. And it's not a specific hetero energy. It's just a whatever floats your boat kind of energy. And I'm now seeing that with The Mummy. I get that. I think Venom 2 also qualifies. Because Venom 1, as a character, is sexual, thick, whatever. But it's also this movie about kind of a, a homosexual relationship i think you know there's there's women there's there's a lot going on with venom it's almost like a thruple mm. is kind of happening between venom eddie and michelle williams's character and like i think there's some bisexual uh stuff going on here did you catch that yeah i mean i definitely wish that they like could lean in more into venom and eddie's relationship i just want to see where they just fuck each other to be honest I'm sure that there are short stories on the internet if you Googled it. Oh, there are. Wait, I found one. It's really short. It's only a paragraph. Can I read it or is that bad? Please. Please, God, read it. Okay. Let's put some nice music under this. (laughs) Light a candle. Wait, I want to make sure I'm crediting the right person. This is by Sexy Clown Fucker. (laughs) (laughs) Already off to a good start. Okay. You are riding Eddie in his king-size bed. I'm glad they classified that he has enough money to own a king. He holds your hips as you bump up and down on him. Eddie moans your name quietly as not to wake the beast. You grip at Eddie's chest while you continue your motions. You throw your head back in a euphoric state. When you look back, Eddie is no longer below you. His monstrous half is below you, his sentient growing up your leg. He filled you more so now. You struggle to keep riding him. He was so much, it was hard. The venom I don't know if I can keep this up for long, you whisper, slowing your pace. Princess, you feel so good to us. Venom loves when you take him in. He hisses. <laughs> and see. Oh, no. That's wow, enough. Wow, great job. I heard enough. <laughs> Oh, you heard enough by the end? Good. Yeah, you really brought out the monster in all of us there. Thank you so much for that. And thank you to Sexy Clown Fucker (laughs) for your cameo on this week's episode of Galaxy Brains. Uh, I will be seeking out more of this person's work. I'm very certain of that. I want to know if Sexy Clown Fucker's done anything with the Cenobites or Pinhead or any kind of the stuff from uh, Hellraiser, because I want to hear some of that. Y'all, I read so much fan fiction when I was growing up. That was my like, you know, because I didn't have access to porn. That was my porn. And it was always, it was like on fanfiction.net. I remember it was a lot of Dragon Ball Z, like Vegeta and Bulma fan fiction. But it was always like, and then he thrust his throbbing member into her, penetrating her soft flower. It would always be something like that. Oh, boy. Anyways, I'm making this the horniest episode. See, (laughs) that's why we brought you on. That was the point of the whole thing. (laughs) I feel like I learned a lot about writing from reading fan fiction when I was a kid. So thank you to all of those people out there who used the internet for its intended purpose, which is sexual content. No more complaining about Star Wars on the internet. Just write fan fiction. Um, 
We've already talked about threesomes, so we'll move on past that. I want to get to the heart of the matter with you, Danny. Okay. Who did you find sexier, Venom or Carnage? And then we'll split it up and we'll also ask you, do you prefer Tom Hardy or Woody Harrelson? Oh my God. I want to say that they're, to me, equally sexy. Tom Hardy, I just love that his like football player body, it just feels like he could just pummel you. I don't know. I'm sorry. That came to my mind. Um, Not holding back. That's fine. Whatever pops up, just say it. But Woody, he's like been around the block. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's something like about those, like the men that have a lot of experience and and he's a little unhinged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I got to go. I got to go with Carnage. I think uh, there is a little bit of natural born killers in his performance in this. And that was kind of like, oh, he's seductive in a way. Uh, he's a little crazy, a little kooky, a little off-center. He murders a bunch of people, sure, but there's still some appeal there. I get that. I'm interested in your thoughts about the chemistry between Woody Harrelson and Naomi Harris in this movie. Naomi Harris, of course, plays Money Penny in the Bond movies. Here she plays Shriek, the love interest of Cletus Cassidy uh, of Carnage. Do you think they had chemistry? Yeah, I actually, I, I definitely bought their like lifelong love story. I think... Woody is so great at like, you know, I don't know, just I, I guess it goes back to that like unhingedness that it like he would do anything for his love. And I don't know, I really loved her portrayal of Shriek. And they just seemed like two star-crossed lovers who would, I don't know, like murder someone and then like fuck on top of their body. That was definitely the vibe. That was a popular trope in cinema in the 90s when I was watching movies with sexual content in them. If it was Wild at Heart or if it was Natural Born Killers or whatever, true romance. Like characters on the edge who you know are going to have a terrible end to their lives, but they just can't keep their hands off each other. So this felt like the whole movie feels like a throwback to the 90s. And the first one did too. The, the classic kind of unhinged, wild 90s action movies, superhero movies, erotic thrillers. Like that's one of the reasons why I personally like this movie. But I also like this movie because it's really a movie about dads at the end of the day, isn't it? And I'm sure all of us have issues with parents. Uh, we we have a segment every week called Galaxy Dads where Joe and I work out our problems with our fathers. But Venom is the dad of Carnage. But would you say that in this movie, Venom is a daddy? Ah, gosh. Yes, but he, I don't know, he doesn't give off like the daddy vibes. Mm, okay. Like he, I mean, he's thick. He has a, a large, thick tongue that's long and also thick. <laughs> yes, he does. But it's like, I, I don't know, maybe it's his, maybe it's his lack of self-confidence that just, uh, yeah. which he had a lot of, which I think it's great, but it's hard to like see someone as daddy. This is awful. I'm like, I'm actually making a case for toxic masculinity that men should not be vulnerable <laughs> or they won't be seen <laughs> as sexy. Oh no. You're literally uh, coming off of talking about how Carnage is hot because he killed a bunch of people. <laughs> and now you're like, oh, Vidim's a bit of a wuss. <laughs> Venom's a little bitch. Uh, no. These are fantasies. It's fine. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, though. He's not swinging his dick around. He's a little awkward. And there's the scene in the rave in the middle of the movie where he kind of has his his uh, coming out moment where he's like, Yes. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm fine. That was a, <laughs> such a strange interlude in the movie. But I do want to ask you what happened after. Because, uh, okay, he had his triumphant moment. He dropped the mic. He feels like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm self-actualizing, finally. What is his pickup line at that party 
And how many people does he go home with at the end? Oh my gosh. I think his I think I think his pickup line is Princess, you feel so good to us. Venom loves when you take him in. He hisses. <laughs> Thank you. Uh again, sexy clown fucker. Thank you, sexy clown fucker. You've really gone to the core of Venom. I agree. That's there's gonna be something where he calls somebody princess for some reason. I feel like that's that's the thing that makes women feel the most loved is when you call them princess, right? Oh yeah, we love that. Definitely. Especially when we're walking down the street and minding our own business. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's very popular. Uh, how many people does Venom take home that night? I feel like, I don't know, he seems like an orgy kind of person. And he definitely seems sexually fluid, which I love about him, which I love that this scene was taking place clearly at like a queer rave. I hope that they feel that they can lean into that more. Because, I mean, he's a literal alien. Why limit yourself? Yeah. Do you think Venom is going to become a queer icon? I feel like he is a queer icon. I feel like he actually is already. But I think it's just like, will we see that in actual representation on screen? And I personally feel, as the spokesperson for queer people, I feel that (laughs) 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 he is uh, already, you know, uh, an icon. But again, I am pushing for a sex scene between him and and Eddie. I gotta say, Venom does it for me no matter which side of the the field he's playing on. So let's have more of that. All right, let's keep this going. This is the beginning of a beautiful period of sexual awakening for millions of people. And that's thanks to this movie. This movie is the horniest movie, at least of the last five years. Maybe it's not the horniest superhero movie ever because you did point out the Batman and Robin, Batman Returns, these movies are hot. But this movie is doing a lot of good work. And I'm really glad, Daniel, that you could come on here and talk about this this movie and also share that fan fiction with us. <laughs> I'm glad you had that cocked, locked, and ready to go because uh, that's that's a special moment in Galaxy Brain's history. <laughs> Thank you for having me on to be horny on May. <laughs> <laughs> that was the uh, working title of this podcast. <laughs> As you know, dear listener, each week we wrap up the show with a galaxy brain take from one of you. Here's John from Brooklyn. Hi, this is John from Brooklyn. I'm calling with my galaxy brain take on many saints in Newark. So while I enjoyed the film, here's what I have to say. More nostalgia. Go even further. This was already a rushing nesting doll of of, uh, bringing people back. I want more legacy casting get Polly Walnut's son in to play him to really dial it up 14 out of 10 next time. Thanks. <laughs> John, I couldn't agree more. I watched this movie over the weekend, and let me tell you, I watched The Sopranos when it came out. Okay, I was a, a super fan. I watched the premiere the night it came out on HBO. I don't know, 1999, 2000, whenever that was. I was a child and shouldn't have been watching it, but I had HBO in my room. This movie... Should have been for me, right? You know, I saw the whole thing. I watched the whole show from beginning to end. I have an affection for Polly and Silvio and Junior and uh, all the all the uh, your friends, right? But this movie didn't give me nearly enough. And there was plenty of nostalgia in this, as you pointed out. But give me more, as you said. Give me a prequel where every single plot point from the shows is referenced. Give me the children of the actors, the children's children of the actors. Have people say, well, that's a real Sopranos moment, and then wink at the camera. Give me the song in every single scene that it can be in. Take me to the bada bing. 
give me so much nostalgia that my my eyeballs pop out. And then I say, I can't take much more references to my childhood. That's what I want. That's what Star Wars, The Phantom Menace didn't do. That's what all of these uh, legacy sequels didn't do. Star Trek did it. And props to J.J. Abrams for saying, whenever I make one of these movies, I'm going to give you nothing but references to stuff you remember or characters inspired by stuff that you remember. This guy should have directed The Many Saints of Newark. That's my galaxy brain take, folks. J.J. Abrams should direct every single legacy sequel and reboot and remake that comes out because you know he's going to do a great job just regurgitating the things you've seen already. Anyway, thank you so much, John, for your call about the movie we decided not to talk about this week. If you want to call in, we'd love to hear your Galaxy Brain take on next week's episode topic, Daniel Craig's final mission is James Bond in No Time to Die. Our number is 213-570-8069 and it's also listed in our show notes. Give us a call and leave us a voicemail with your take. And don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you want it to be Venom, Babadook, slash fiction, go for it. You don't have to enter into the costume contest, but you should leave a five-star review because every positive review of this show is one less week of therapy I have to go to. That's a wrap on this week's Galaxy Brains. Next week, I'll be too busy starring in the new season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 that we'll be shooting because, Dave, I just simply must be in front of the camera. In place of the diva Plava Laguna over here, I'll be joined by my good friend and Long Island's finest, John Gabris to talk about No Time to Die with our very special guest, Paul F. Tompkins. Honestly, I'm super sad to be missing this episode. It's going to be a good one. Jonah, all of our episodes are good. Why? Because Galaxy Brains is produced by Kylie Holloway and me, Dave Schilling. The show is engineered by Dan Turek with music from Gautam Strickishin. Our executive producer is Matt Patches and our developing producer is Zach Mack. Polygon's editor-in-chief is Chris Plant, and Russ Frustick is the director of Special Projects. Special thanks to Andrew Malnizek, who helped create the show. Until next time, I'm Jonah. And I'm Dave. Let me see that pussy, Venom. <laughs> <laughs>